They are some of the most recognizable faces on the planet. Movie stars, athletes, musicians. They're rich, they're beautiful, they're famous, they're successful. And each of them has also had a significant journey with depression. Just a few uh, little quotes. Dwayne The Rock Johnson. Depression doesn't discriminate regardless of who you are or what you do for a living or where you come from. Doesn't discriminate. Comedian Wayne Brady said, having a bad day is one thing. Having a bad week is another. Having a bad life, you don't want to move. You can't move in the darkness. Music artist Lady Gaga. I've suffered through depression and anxiety my entire life. I still suffer with it every single day. And here's the reality. It's not just their stories. Because there are also so many other stories that could be told about the impact of depression right here in our own community today. So many of us have either walked through depression in the past or perhaps are struggling with it now or will experience it at some point in our lives. As Michelle said, last week we began our new series called The Gospel and Mental Health. And today we're going to talk about depression. And we're going to do it a little bit different. I'm going to do a mini-sermon. And then, as Michelle said, uh, we're going to have a conversation with Olivia Lundman about her own experience with depression and mental health and then chat about an amazing project that she is working on. Well, when it comes to depression, let me start off with a bit of background. There are a number and wide range of experiences when it comes to depression, from mild to severe to debilitating. And there's no one cause for depression. It can happen because of a genetic predisposition. It may be attached to another mental health diagnosis. It can happen because of a single event or perhaps a recurring traumatic event or PTSD. It can happen postpartum. It can be linked to grief and loss or failure. And so there are all sorts of reasons for depression. Major depression is defined by having at least five of these nine common symptoms, and it's for two weeks or longer, and they represent a significant change from how you previously function. But here, here they are. Feeling sad or having a depressed mood. Loss of interest or pleasure in activities you once enjoyed. A decrease or increase in appetite, meaning weight loss or gain that's unrelated to dieting. Trouble sleeping or sleeping too much loss of energy or increased fatigue, an increase in purposeless physical activity, so the inability to sit still or pacing around, or the opposite, slowed movements and speech and activity, feeling worthless or guilty, difficulty thinking or concentrating or making decisions, and recurrent thoughts of death or suicidal ideation. Depression is one of the most common, most experienced of all mental health challenges. It's also the leading cause of disability for people between the ages of 15 and 45. And if we go a little bit deeper here at UBC, one out of every four students have reported, which means the number is actually higher, but they've reported being diagnosed or treated for mental health conditions in the past year. Most common being depression, anxiety, and panic attacks. Which also means that just within our community here today, 
there are a significant number of people who are walking through a struggle right now. Maybe the person sitting next to you or in your row. It may be your roommate or your classmate or if you're a professor, one of your students. It may even be you. So what we're talking about here today is very real. And this subject, this one hits close to home because it's been my own personal experience over the last number of months. Depression doesn't discriminate. It can impact anyone regardless of gender, age, education, culture, ethnicity, sexuality, finances, job, and yes, even faith. And it should be said, depression is not a sin. We don't need to feel shame or guilt about it because it is very much a common reality within our human experience. In fact, there are many stories throughout our Bible that show people with depression. David, Job, Jonah. And today we're going to look briefly at Elijah and make a few observations. I want to pick up his story in 1 Kings chapter 19. Elijah has just come out of this great faith moment and experience where God shows up big time in answer to Elijah's prayer to bring fire down from heaven to prove that he is the real God. And in the process, a bunch of false prophets get exposed as frauds. Elijah's riding this huge wave of success, this huge win. But very quickly, his life is threatened by the queen and a death threat is spoken over his life. And so fear takes over Elijah and things begin to spiral for him. He runs away to the emptiness of the desert. He's alone. He's exhausted. He's depleted. He's hungry. He doesn't have the energy or capacity to keep going. And he begs God to take his life. He doesn't want to live. Based on all of those symptoms, commentators have made the connection that Elijah was walking through and experiencing depression. But what stands out for me here is that his depression comes out after this great moment, which can feel kind of surprising. And yet I know in my own story that I spiraled during the most stable, calmest period of my journey. I was in this moment where things started to and seemed to be getting better. We were making progress. We had survived a lot of trauma and grief. We seemed like we were emerging from this dark place. Things started feeling a little bit more stable, and yet it was then that things started to crumble inside of me. It caught me so off guard. I felt my feet and the ground underneath me just crumble away. I could feel something physically break inside of me. I spiraled. I had zero energy and capacity. I couldn't concentrate. I was restless. I was numb. I had trouble keeping things in my memory. I'm sure for a number of you, I would keep introducing myself over and over again because I can't keep names and faces and people in my memory. It took everything out of me to write an email, let alone to write a sermon. I'd go to bed exhausted. I'd sleep nine or ten hours and wake up even more depleted. Here's the thing. I never saw depression coming. Depression can creep up slowly over time or it can pounce on us in a moment. But no matter how it appears, it is very real and painful and terrifying. 
Elijah then has this encounter with an angel who provides food for him, allows him the space and the time to rest. And it's almost like this type of self-care that takes place. In two weeks uh, from now, November 26, we're going to circle back to this part of the story. And Michelle and I are going to tag team about self-care and what it can look like in our mental health journeys so that we can hopefully emerge in a better, healthier place and wholeness in our lives. But for today, I want to briefly focus on the last part of the story because it really is the heartbeat and soul. Elijah travels 40 days further into an even deeper part of the desert, and he comes to this mountain cave that was associated with God's presence, and he's invited to meet God in a new way. God appears and asks Elijah the question, what are you doing here, Elijah? Elijah responds with his version of events, and then God says this, verse 11, go out and stand on the mountain in the presence of the Lord For the Lord is about to pass by. Then a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. After the earthquake came a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire came a gentle whisper. Elijah experiences all of these dramatic events of fire, wind, and earthquake. You can imagine it's chaotic and loud and overwhelming and terrifying. Elijah thinks that God is in whatever is swirling around him. He's trying to find God in those places, only to discover God isn't where he expected. Instead comes this beautiful phrase that after the fire came a gentle whisper. In the Hebrew language, it says it was the sound of thin silence. Isn't that great? The sound of thin silence. Some have described it like a baby's breath, barely audible to one's ear. And so in the midst of everything that Elijah is going through and feeling and seeing and experiencing that's swirling around him, Elijah discovers God's presence in a quiet whisper. There's so much beauty and depth and truth to be found there. To hear a gentle whisper or something like the breath of a baby means you have to lean in. You need to come close in the moment. We have a little baby in our house. I tell you, when he's sleeping there, we find ourselves just leaning in just to make sure, first of all, that he is breathing but you just lean in just to listen to that little whisper. I think that's the point here. That despite the things that may be happening around you or in you that can feel loud and overwhelming and chaotic and dark and terrifying, even in the midst of our difficulties, our pain, our grief, our loss, our depression, we are invited by God to come close, to lean in, to listen for his gentle whisper, calling us towards himself. That's where God's to be found. In our present moment, in our darkest moments, yes, even in our depression comes the whisper of a God who is right there and present with us. In my own journey, the one thing, perhaps the only thing, 
that has kept me going has been to try to simply be in the moment and to listen for God's voice and presence covering me in that space in the broken pieces of my life. And while there have been days and nights where God's presence and voice have felt absent, there have also been many moments where I have sensed God's love and words and gentle whisper, breathing comfort and hope and peace and love into my life. And so if there's anything that you can take away from this mini message today, I want to encourage you that no matter where you find yourself today, to give yourself permission to listen, to lean into the quiet whisper of God in your moment, in your situation. Even though it may feel like you're alone, or maybe it feels like you're in a spiral or in a desert place, or you may be feeling exhausted. Maybe you've even reached that point of giving up. The reality is that there is a God who is with us, with you, with me, even now. And as you allow that gentle whisper to lead you and speak love and healing over you, it will uh, begin to allow you to take one more step in the journey. And even though it won't instantly take you out of a spiral or a dark place, that whisper will begin transforming you and I from the inside out. May it be so. I'm going to invite Olivia Lundman to join me. One of the gifts of being a church family is that we don't need to do life alone. And we can support each other, we can pray for each other, listen to each other's stories, because as we do that, we begin realizing we actually do share a lot of similar experiences together. And so it's an honor to have Olivia come and share some of her own story and journey, because I think it will resonate with so many of us. We've probably seen Olivia on the welcome team. She was on our welcome team here this morning on screen there as well. And uh, she's part of a team of uh, our wonderful volunteers who help to uh, make things happen every Sunday morning. And so, Olivia, it's so good to have you. Thank you so much for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Awesome. Well, why don't you begin by just telling us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, what year you're in here at UBC, what you're studying, and a little bit about what you are doing as an athlete. Yeah, so I am in my third year of studies here at UBC. I am in the Faculty of Kinesiology. And as Anthony mentioned, I'm also an athlete. I'm from Vancouver Island. I grew up in the Nanaimo area. And I am a race walker. So I've been involved in track and field ever since I was 10 years old. And I've loved it. I've competed in every single event. But race walk is just the one that really out to me and so that's what I've decided to kind of focus in on and so I'm on the team here at UBC and been training hard and hoping to one day re represent Canada at the Olympics. Which is amazing which could be potentially as early as next year. So that is amazing so yeah <laughs> go ahead. <laughs> 
and smashing records as well. So what's your fastest 5K time? Um, my fastest 5K time is 22 minutes and 54 seconds, I believe. All right. So if there are any, are there any runners here? I know when I've, talked to runners, when I've talked to runners in the past, they're like, what? I can't even run that fast. So that's, uh, that, is, that is a fast speed, which is why you're uh, heading down this, uh, this course. So, uh, yeah, we are cheering you on. So it's going to be fun to watch uh, where you. the journey takes you on that. Well, let's uh, jump right in because I know uh, with our time here, but uh, we are talking about depression here today. And I know it's something that you have experienced in your own life. And so I'd love for you just to take us through a bit of your own story uh, as it relates to depression and mental health. When did it start? What did it look like for you? But uh, why don't you just take some time to share a little bit of your journey and what's brought you actually here to this moment? Yeah, so my journey with depression has definitely been a long one and it's been a wonky journey definitely has had its ups and downs um I think it mainly became evident to me when I came to UBC I mean so many great things have come from coming to UBC and I don't regret that decision at all um but I think just the transition to moving away from all my family and living in this new city, studying something new, um, just this whole new lifestyle was a lot to adjust to. And I think it kind of it hit me at first when I finished my first year here at UBC and everyone was posting their like yearly recaps and people were moving out and I was kind of reflecting on what I learned during my first year and what I was taking away. And I felt like I hadn't made the same connections or had the same experiences or gotten to do the same things that everyone else did. I feel like I was training and I was studying and that was kind of it. I feel like I missed out on a lot of the things that most people say that they get out of their first year at UBC. And so that kind of like hit me and I was like, oh, wow. Um, and I remember I'd come back from... A competition I was at Worlds and I think it was like April and I remember coming back and everyone was congratulating me and I, like I should have been like super happy and at like the highest but I remember just like feeling really like low inside like I was like feeling like this depression that no one else could see like everyone thought I should be happy and they had no reason to believe that I wasn't and that was kind of when it first started to hit me and so that summer, um, I decided to start a mental health initiative because I was really passionate about this fact that just because someone looks like they're doing fine, they can be living what looks like the perfect life, you don't know what's really going on beneath the surface. And so then going into my second year, I went in with the goal of stressing less about academics, which... It's easier said than done, um, as I'm sure many of you know. And I wanted to focus more on building relationships with others and being more present socially um, and investing more time into relationships and communities on campus. And so, I mean, that was good. But then, of course, midterm season rolled around and I found myself back in the habit of studying and stressing about all my assignments, about my grades, even though I said I was, wasn't going to care as much about grades. Um, 
and I had a bunch of midterms that were really close together. I think I had like three or four in one week. And it was the night before my last midterm. And I remember it was like 9 p.m. and the midterm was at like 8 the next morning. And I remember thinking that there wasn't enough time between right then and my midterm the next morning for me to feel as prepared as I wanted to be. And that's when I kind of just started to spiral. I was like, I'm going to fail the exam. I'm going to fail the course. I'm going to lose my scholarship. Like, everything's just going to go downhill. And I was in a really low place. And that's kind of when the, the first time when I really started feeling like, I don't want to make it to tomorrow. And that was, it was a scary thought to have. It was something that I, you hear stories about, but you never think, oh, that, that'll never happen to me. Like, oh, I'm fine. Like, that'll never be me. And I think that was just, like, a big turning point. And I um, reached out and I got some help. And the next morning, I wrote the midterm. And everything ended up turning out okay. But you always, it always seems way bigger in your mind. And I called my mom after I got home. And I broke down. And we had a long talk. And... We got in contact with my doctor and my therapist, and um, we, after long meetings with them, um, I ended up starting medication, and it has made a big difference for me. And now I'm not saying that medication is the solution for everyone. Um, it's definitely not. And I mean, that's not the only thing that's helped. Um, I've definitely found that like leaning into my faith has um, made a big difference as well. But I think it was something I'd struggled with. Um, I think as a Christian, have like the, the intersection of faith and mental health is often one that there's a lot of like stigma around and it's often seen as like, oh, if you're struggling with your mental health, I mean, at least what I thought is I'm not faithful enough. Like, I, if I trust in God like, and find my joy in him, like, I should be happy. But it came down to the fact that some days I was just, I was sad. And, like, my mom would ask me, she's like, why are you so blue? And I, I would say, I don't know. And I wasn't saying that because I was trying to avoid answering the question. I literally didn't know. I just felt this, like, darkness. And I feel like when I started medication at first, I was like, like, how come God didn't heal me? Like, I had to go to, like, get these doctors to heal me and go to science. But it took me a while to realize that that was God's way of healing me. He used these people in my life and the, um, their knowledge and the science to help heal me. And, I mean, it hasn't been a smooth journey since then. It hasn't been all uphill. I mean, it's a continuous, like, every day. Um, every season, you you have to think about it. Um, but yeah, I'll stop now before I keep on going. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for uh, sharing that. And I'm sure, I know um, so many of us in the room can relate to that, especially understanding the pressures of school and expectations and, and all that. And you're a high capacity person. And it was like taking on more and more uh, that is there. Um, as you've kind of progressed through this and this journey has been here, I guess that two-part question, you mentioned most of it came about at UBC. 
did you have any of this growing up as well or some uh, inkling or had some experiences that way or was this a lot more related to uh, your experience here at school? Yeah, I think like growing up in high school, like, I've always been a bit of a perfectionist and so I always have like stressed a bit over my grades and I think um, also like with like all my sports and everything, I think I suffered from like burnout quite often, but I don't think I kind of like differentiated like what was like just being tired and overworked and over and stressed and impo as opposed to being depressed. Um, and I think it was in university when I started to feel have those feelings of being alone and isolated. Um, like I didn't have the same friends as in high school. I didn't have my family to lean on as much. And I just found that when I was in these, like having these feelings, I was alone in my dorm room. I kind of like shut myself out from my friends and like everyone else around me. And I think like growing up, I didn't really have the space or the opportunity to do that. So I think that's, it's, it, that's when it became apparent was when I was in university. Yeah. If you could go back to the, kind of the beginning part of your UBC journey, what would you tell yourself? That's tough. I, um, I mean, it's easy to say, like, don't worry about grades as much. Like, show love to those around you and, like, invest in those relationships. That's what's important. But, I mean, even, like, as I said, going into my second year, that's kind of the goal I went in with. And that, like, it's still, it only goes so far. But I think really just, like, leaning into both your faith, but also to, like, trying to find that purpose for your life. I think that was a big one for me. Um, and just learning to love others and treat yourself with the same compassion that you treat others with. So good. Maybe just to tease that out a uh, little bit and then we'll uh, pivot here. But um, you've alluded to some of the things that you're doing now. Uh, so maybe just expand for that a little bit as you're walking through this continued journey. What are some of the either self-care uh, practices or things that you're really being intentional about these days to just make sure that you're in the best place that you can be? Yeah, so I think a big one is just more like open and honest communication with um, mainly my mom. I call her and talk on the phone just about every day. Um, and we've kind of both been through my journey with me. And so um, she knows like the questions to ask and I know better than to try and lie to her. <laughs> um, and so that kind of helps me stay accountable. And is, I've got someone that's checking in on me and a couple of my friends know um, what I've been going through. And so just having those people to check in on me and then for myself, um, I find that prayer is something that's really helped me. Um, I think before I was like ashamed of what I was going through and I mean God knows exactly like what we're going through and what our thoughts are so trying to hide anything from him is kind of pointless um, but I think just like going to him with everything I'm feeling whether it's joy or sadness um, that's been a big one and just like knowing that he's always there to lean on um, like I think during my times when I was struggling I was I used to think, like, God, why have you abandoned me? Like, where are you? Um, I didn't realize that it was during those times I was struggling that he was the only one that was keeping me going and carrying me through each day. 
Um, so that's been a big one. And then I've also got um, a couple different mental health organizations I'm involved with. And so I've been able to make some really good connections with people through that. And so there's just these individuals that um, have gone through similar things. And so they know kind of what I'm going through and just kind of like how to check in. So yeah, it's, I think just the community has been really important. We will share back and forth. Um, you mentioned uh, about a year and a half ago you started a project, and so would love for you to share a little bit about it, the name, where it came from, the vision, uh, and just tell us a little bit about what you're doing there. Yeah, of course. So summer after my first year, um, as I previously mentioned, I was passionate about this t concept that even though people may seem to be leading perfect life, having, has it all together, um, no struggles at all, um, even then they can still be struggling. So that's where the name for my initiative came from. It's called Beneath the Surface. And so my goal was to just raise awareness for that fact that people can seem okay and seem great, but Sometimes it's those people who are strong that you need to check on and see if they're okay because they might not be. And so what I've been doing is I've been interviewing people and just having them share their mental health journey with me. And I've interviewed singers, actors, travelers, athletes, um, various different people, um, and just gotten to hear what their journey's been like. And a lot of the time, it's these people who um, no one would really suspect would be struggling, or they've talked about like how they're feeling alone, but no one around them knows that they're suffering, so they don't think anything of it. But meanwhile, these people are feeling depressed or anxious or struggling with an eating disorder or PTSD or some other mental illness, and they feel like they're the only one going through it because everyone around them also seems to be projecting this image of being fine, being okay. And so it's everyone is feeling alone and isolated even though the person sitting right next to them might be going through the same thing. It is well worth, uh, if you have Instagram, to... Uh scan the QR code and to be able to follow and just listen to the stories. They are powerful of, again, as you've said here, of people who are going through things that you wouldn't necessarily suspect. And I think that's the entire point when it comes to mental health is you just don't know the struggles that all of us go through. There is a website as well if people don't have Instagram. And what's that address? Or they can find it through Instagram, right? Okay. Uh, and so, yeah, would really encourage you that way. Um, how can people get involved? Is there a way to help support or even on their own to be able to engage in this in this type of conversation? Yeah, so I mean, to help the like initiative directly, I mean, I think the big thing is just um, spreading it. And so if you watch a video and you think it would really resonate with someone else, then just share the video with them and just like share the message. 
And then even just beyond that, I'd say just like check in on your friends, send them a message, um, just let them know that you care about them. You just want to see how they're doing. Um, just, I mean, something as simple as that can go a really long way. And I think just engaging in conversations about your mental health. And so if someone asks you like, oh, hey, how are you doing? Instead of just responding with automatic, oh, I'm good, how are you? Um, maybe take a moment and think about, okay, how are you, how are you really doing? And be honest with others. Because I think the more that we're honest with others, then the more they'll be honest with us. And so if you're vulnerable with someone and open, then they're more likely to be open and vulnerable back with you. And so the more we can do that, then the more we can normalize having conversations about mental health, which is something I'm also really passionate about. Because I don't think it should be this taboo subject that we kind of dance around or are afraid to bring up. Um, I mean, as Anthony mentioned earlier, like it's extremely prevalent and more people than you know are struggling with it. And so don't be afraid to just ask someone how they're doing or just engage in a conversation about mental health. And I think that's going to go a long ways. Awesome. Great way to end this part. Can we thank Olivia for sharing here today? And I think it's, it's so true um, with the, that aspect of moving from stigma to what Dan talked about last week of bringing into community, that when we have the ability to know, hey, I'm walking through this as well. And so whether those are through, even say in a church context, uh, teams or life groups or connecting for coffee or just checking in on people and to realize we all go through struggles. We all go through uh, difficulties and challenges and to know that, hey, there's someone I can talk with or pray with or just send a quick text and, and say, how are you doing? I think is huge important. I want to end with this last slide. I think this is uh, really important. And so I encourage you, if you have your phone, this isn't just for yourself, but maybe you know someone or keep this for a future reference. But these are some really uh, important resources uh, that are here. And if you are walking through depression, I want you to know you are not alone. There are resources available to help. And so uh, if you're not sure where to start, UBC, uh, that uh, website, students.ubc.ca slash health, has some really practical kind of first steps, or maybe you uh, know someone who seems like they're uh, struggling. 811 is a toll-free uh, free uh, nurses 24-7 hotline. And so they don't deal with emergencies, but uh, they will help refer or make recommendations uh, if you or a friend is walking through something and you're just not sure, or maybe you've been kind of in this low place for a bit. Uh, they are more than willing to talk and to help kind of navigate and recommend some next steps. Seeing a medical doctor, uh, I think, is a huge, huge step. You uh, mentioned that as well in your own journey. Um, I know for myself, uh, with my doctor as well to do a physical, to do blood work, just to make sure there wasn't any, you know, uh, physical type of thing that was happening and through medications sometime or uh, a lot of times things like exercise and eating right and trying to get sleep. So, um, I want to encourage you that there are medical clinics and other places to do that. Seeing a counselor or therapist, uh, that, is, that can feel like a big step. It can feel uh, quite vulnerable, but uh, I will say that it is a game changer. If you can talk uh, with someone and just really help process. Uh, Michelle and myself have been working actually with two different counselors over the last uh, couple of years. And while it's hard, it is also uh, vitally important just as we try and process what, uh, what we've 
we've gone through and uh, on a number of different things that way. And so there are resources, again, through UBC for counselors, or we can also recommend. Uh, I've put Michelle's and, and my email up there as well, uh, availability to talk with us or one of our staff or a life group leader uh, to make sure that you are not alone. So please uh, do that. On the other side is uh, really to uh, name it for what it is that, especially if you are at a point where you are thinking about self-harm or maybe you're engaged in self-harm or you are thinking about suicide or um, that's suicidal ideation, please uh, don't think it's not important or you'll just wait. Uh, the hospital emergency uh, is the place to go uh, for that, for medical trained people who can get you through uh, those immediate um, parts because there is help available and we know too many people that had not made that decision uh, and it's uh, with tragic consequences and so uh, just know that uh, that is that is there. Uh, there are people here in the community that are able to go with you if you're scared or if you're feeling like this is too much pressure that we want to be able to support. And as well, there is a 24-7 crisis center. Uh, there's a website there or the toll-free number uh, at any time that you can reach out to them. So uh, that's the QR code for the crisis center. So again, want to encourage you to uh, snap a picture. Again, this could be for yourself. Save it in your camera roll. Pass it on to someone uh, because the more that we are looking after each other, just the, the better, the more whole that we can uh, come to. I'm going to ask our worship team to come up. Uh, we don't want to just kind of end it here. We're going to sing one more song, uh, and then I will close with the benediction. But doing it uh, just a little bit different today, but vitally important, I think, to be able to talk about uh, things like this as we continue in our mental health series. Next week, we're going to look at anxiety. And then, as I mentioned, in two weeks, talking about self-care uh, and what we can do. So again, Olivia, thank you so much for sharing. Uh, as the worship team sets up, let me uh, just do a, a quick prayer here, and then we'll do one final song. Jesus, I thank you for the beauty and power of stories. To know that in life we have shared experiences, we have shared emotions, uh, we might have unique to us situations, and yet we know that there is still a commonality that is there, that uh, we are people who uh, walk through difficulties and challenges, and it hits us in different ways and at different times, and sometimes quickly and sometimes slowly. We are also reminded that being part of the family of God means that there is a built-in connection that is here and with the realization ultimately that you are with us even in those times where it doesn't feel like it even in those places and spaces where it can feel heavy or that things feel um, weighty and and spiraling that we know that you are right there with us and even though we may not always feel it i pray that we would continue to choose to lean in that in the moment we would reach out to you we would reach out to each other and say hey i'm I'm not doing great, or I'm struggling with this, or this is heavy, or this is getting too much. And to know that with faith, with medical, with counseling, with all of these different tools that we have available, that we can become people that you have called us to be, and that is people who are flourishing and whole and moving uh, towards that grace and love and the beauty of life that you have for us. And so I pray that as we uh, close this time here that we would be mindful of your breath and life in us, working in us and moving us towards yourself. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.